Well, good morning. Good to see you all here today. Thanks for choosing to worship with us. So grateful that you're here. And uh, man, everybody went boom. I was like, oh, that's me over there and here. It's good to see all of you guys. I'm really, really grateful. Thanks for joining us online. Thank, thankful for you today. Just join us from right where you are. So grateful that you've chosen to worship with us. We are in Advent Rebellion this morning. Did you know that? Bay Area Church is in Advent Rebellion. Let me explain that for just a minute. We start Advent the first Sunday of December. The rest of the world starts Advent the last Sunday of November, typically. So we're rebels, but we do have a cause. And the cause is this. It's our desire to light the last candle on Christmas Day in your home. And so we like to push sort of that emphasis into your living room, to your family table, to your circle, to a quiet place alone, whatever it will look like for you that particular day. And that's why we start the first Sunday of December. So we are going to start today. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and also verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, and then also verses 6 and 7. Here's what the scripture says. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined. And then verse six and seven. For to us, a child is born to us. A son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You can be seated. Like Mike and Julie said, Advent is a season of waiting or a season of anticipation. It is uh, the act as a church of going through sort of the rhythmic process annually of anticipating, celebrating the birth of Jesus. And today we celebrate thinking about the hope of Jesus. And to me, one of the most amazing things about this passage of scripture, the most hope-filled things about this passage of scripture that we read today is that it was given to the prophet Isaiah when the people of Israel, the children of God were in a place, not just of a little bit of darkness, but a place of deep darkness. And what he was doing was prophesying to them and giving them hope of a better day, of a better future, a hope in the person of Jesus. Now, here's what we learn as we sort of think through this passage written 700 years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Some practical things. Number one, people need light, but have no power to to produce it. 
people need light but have no power to produce it. And I'm not talking about like a light bulb or flipping on a switch or building a fire. I'm not talking about a physical light like that. I'm talking about a spiritual light that shines in spiritual darkness. So the weird thing is we actually do have the, manuf- the, the ability to manufacture spiritual darkness. Did you know that? Like with our hands, we can make bad things. But we have no power to create spiritual light. We need it, but we have no power to create it. In fact, just as the people in Isaiah, we walk in deep darkness. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, you know, I'm a pretty good, pretty good person. I mean, every now and then I have my moments, but I don't walk in deep darkness. I might have a little darkness, but not deep darkness. According to the scripture, a little darkness is deep darkness. It's either dark or light. Nothing in between. Now, the people of Israel in this passage of scripture, they are walking in deep darkness historically. I mean, this is given to a very specific people in a very specific geography. It talks about the place where the the land of Zebulun and Naphtali come together. These are two tribes of Israel. They come together on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, right along the way of the sea, the Via Maris. And where they come together, it's sometimes called the Galilee of the nation because that side of the sea of galilee the nations is is like a word goyim it 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 means gentiles it's it's the sort of the pagan-esque side of the lake but where zebulun and naphtali come together there's this little town called capernaum and capernaum actually becomes the ministry headquarters of Jesus 700 years after this prophecy is written. But in this moment, what we see is a people who have been brought into contempt at the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, where they come together along the way of the sea by the, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. And these people, they walk in a deep darkness, now, what is that deep darkness? For them, historically, this is the, kind of the middle of the raging of the Syro-Ephraimite War. You can Google that later, okay? But the, here's, the, here's the bottom line. Israel and Judah, Israel is divided. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. It shouldn't be divided, but it is divided. And the ten tribes of the north, they partner with Syria and they go to war against Judah, the two tribes of the south. And they basically stomp on Judah's face. Now, you got to remember, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. All right. So when you're talking about Judah, its land encompasses Jerusalem and Bethlehem. So this is this does not bode well a partnership with syria does not bode well coming against judah does not bode well and so what is happening is that there is there has been in this historical period of time the uh, the armies of syria or assyria are coming now against the land of israel they've lost some of their land already and eventually they're going to lose everything But this is that moment that hangs in the balance and people that worship God in the midst of that, they're looking around and they're saying to themselves, because they live in that moment, right? They're saying to themselves, things have never been this bad. And it's getting worse. 
Isaiah is like this voice of light, of hope, telling them where they should place their hope. You know who their political leader is at the time? He's a guy named King Ahaz with a Z. Ahaz. Ahaz is an evil, idolatrous king. Are the people of Israel, where are they going to place their hope in that moment, that time in history? Where are they going to place their hope? They're going to put it in Ahaz, the evil, idolatrous king. Do you think like dark is going to go to war with darkness? Probably not. Where will they place their hope? And Isaiah was sent to remind the people that in deep darkness, God, the covenant God of Israel can be trusted to fulfill his promises, even when everything is characterized by gloom. You realize that, right? Like we never get in the scriptures. There's never this moment that says uh, you're not going to face difficulty or suffering. You, you, you know, 21st century people living in the 21st century might say, uh, hey, in the 48 years that I've lived, this is the worst that it's ever been in one particular way or another. But the reality is we're all living in generations. We all go through gloom and darkness. We all, in a sense, walk through deep darkness and we need hope in the midst of that. Just like the people of Israel did here. In Isaiah chapter 9, where would they place their hope? Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17, it says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him, even though it feels like he's far away, even though it feels like he's hiding his face from our very house. I will hope in him. This is Isaiah. His, he is going to trust and he is going to wait and he is going to be faithful and he is going to hope in God and hope in his promises, even in deep darkness. This is the first thing we learn is that people need light, but have no power to produce it. The second thing we learn is that the light we need is shined on us. It's, It's given us, it's shined on us. It's not like that we manufacture it or make it or produce it, but this is the hope. Uh, Verse six, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and he shall be named. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Isaiah recalled in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. um, Therefore, The Lord himself will give us a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. The light that we need is shined upon us. Who is the light? According to Isaiah, the light is the one that has been promised since the onset of sin, and that is Emmanuel, God with us. His name is Jesus. We'll know him because a virgin shall conceive. That will stick out like a sore thumb. A virgin shall conceive. Don't let that run by you. I was talking to uh, Eden about this last night. We were doing our our uh, Advent stuff, Angela and Eden and I. And uh, we talked about, hey, what would it be like for a, 
15-year-old girl that lives in a town of 700 people where it's very frowned upon to get pregnant before you get married? What would it have been like for her? Do you think that's a stressful situation? It's probably, probably. Do you think it's stuck out? Yeah. And, and do, you, do you think there was a, a ripple effect that went out into the world that continues to ripple to this day that a virgin conceived? It's biologically impossible. It's not that we can do anything to manufacture, but the light is shined upon us. God does this Work And this is the steadfast love of the Lord toward a people who are in darkness. Who is the light? The light is Jesus. He's named like this. When, when we listen to how Isaiah calls him, he says that he is wonderful counselor. That means that he's going to be miraculous and skilled at giving wisdom from God. When you see him, you'll know him because he'll do miraculous things and he'll say things that you know come from God. And people will ask him, by what authority are you saying these things? He's, he's, he's a wonderful counselor. It says that he is mighty God, that the son conceived of a virgin. He's identified as mighty God himself. It says that he's everlasting father. How can a son be a father? Only if he's part of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit, the great doctrine of the Trinity that helps us understand as confusing and difficult as it is. Don't let anybody explain it to you with ice and steam and water because that's feeble. God is great. And somehow he is the father and the son and the Holy Spirit all at once. And he sends his son and his son will be an everlasting father, perfect and everlasting. This is not words used in the scripture of any other king, everlasting, but he will be eternal. Father means that he's the head of the, of the family. He's, he's the everlasting father. It, this, this, this terminology here, it separates him from all the other possibilities, all the other good kings in Israel, Hezekiah and Josiah and all these people that were good, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. This one's different. He's an everlasting father. He also says he's the prince of peace. That means that under his rule, under his reign, that there will no longer be oppression, but instead shalom. That the chaos will be removed. All things will be restored. And there will be shalom, peace. This is what, this is who the, the light is, is Jesus. And you ever notice that if you're in a very dark place, a little light gives you hope and a lot of light is everything you need. This is Jesus. 
and he's telling the people that are going through like this horrible season of, of war, hey, a new day is coming. He also goes on to say, hey, this is what his government will be like. This is how this king will rule. If you look at chapter 9, verse 7 of Isaiah, it says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This is what his government will be like. When the new king rules, his influence and his kingdom will expand without limit and peace will increase without limit. And it's been happening for 2,000 years. Think about this. Think about the great kings or emperors of, of the earth, how all of their kingdoms in history have come and gone. And yet the kingdom of Jesus established generationally it's here right now and it's futuristic it will be someday the kingdom of jesus continues to expand through the generations and globally so that millions of people worship the prince of peace the everlasting father the king of kings the lord of lords and he is making peace every day you might look at the world and say to yourself i don't I don't see it, man. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of chaos. He's making peace in a vertical way first. The vertical way is this. Like he's making peace between me and God and you and God. Because that, my sin, I'm at war with God. Because of your sin, you're at war with God. You're an enemy of God. You're, you're a, a recipient of his wrath, according to the scripture. And that's really bad news. Worse than the Syrio Ephraimite war. Worse than a pandemic. That's really bad news. But the really good news is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has been making peace between people who believe and God the Father for thousands of years. He's doing that work of restoration. And one day he will do it also horizontally, where there will be a restoration of all things, a new heaven, a new earth. He's making peace. He is the Prince of Peace. This is what his government will be like. It's ever expanding and without limit and peace increases without limit. It says that the, the ruler will reign on the throne of David and establish his kingdom. This is prophetic. This king has to come from the line of David. And that's why the genealogies we get in the gospels are really important. You know, the ones with the lists of names that everybody passes over and doesn't want to read because who can pronounce all those names? That's really important important because it tells us that this messiah this jesus uh that that was born in bethlehem and that grew up in nazareth and set up his ministry headquarters in capernaum he's from the house and line of david you know there's a big argument forever the big argument was this was there really a king david was there really a king david you'd think to yourself like that it's obvious there's a king david 
right? Coming at it from a Christian perspective, it's really, really obvious there's a King, King David. But from a secular perspective, people were saying, I, I don't see anything that says there's a King David. I'm like, well, what about the city of David? Where, is, where does that come from? But okay, but, but, but several years ago, they found in a pottery shard in Dan, all the way to the north of Israel, they found uh, uh, an important vessel. And on it was written from the house and line of David. Can't argue with that, right? Only argument you might have is there's so many different Davids, you know, how many, but this is, this is David, right? This is where we get the city of David. So we get the, the house and lineage of the tribe of Judah. This is where Jesus comes from and he rules and reigns from the throne of David, which is promised in, in scripture that it will have no end. Here's the other thing. His rule and his reign, his authority will be based on righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. You know that Jesus as a ruler, he is not going to play the political ball game. Not at all. He is not trying to poll the audience and figure out which way the congregation is going because, or which way the community or which way the nation is going because he doesn't need your vote. He rules with righteousness and justice. He is who he is no matter what we say he is. All he calls us to is belief. And he justifies us according to the scripture. This is the gospel. Man, I'm at war with God because of my sin. But the cross of Jesus Christ changed everything. Because when Jesus hung on that cross and beckoned me to believe by his spirit, and I put my faith in him for the forgiveness of sins, he made me right with God. He justified me and you and any other person on the planet that ever followed Jesus, he justified you even in your sin. It's interesting because he, he rules with justice. Well, there was justice. He, he was killed on the cross to appease the wrath of God, to bring justice. And then righteousness. I'm not righteous. You're not righteous. There's not one righteous yet the, the scripture tells us that that work on the cross that he did, he, he, it enabled him to clothe us in righteousness. Give us a whole new suit of clothes so that when we stand before God the Father, we're righteous, not because of our acts, not because our behavior, our good behavior outweighs our bad behavior, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. See, now it goes on to say, and, and that is a gift to all of us who follow Jesus. It goes on to say, in the latter days, the sheep will be separated from the goats, that there will be judgment, and that's because of his justice. Those found in Christ will walk with Christ into eternity, into a real place called heaven. Those who are outside of Christ, who live in the chaos, who walk in deep darkness, they will continue in deep darkness in a place called Sheol or Gehenna in the scripture, hell. And this is the thing. He rules with justice and righteousness. And the scripture says he will rule forevermore. I was thinking about that. Like, how, how does a king get to rule forevermore? Here's how a king gets to rule forevermore. You kill him and then he, he gets back up a couple days later. 
And you can't kill somebody that's already been killed. He's been resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the father where he rules and reigns. He's coming back again. He will reign eternally, according to the scripture. This is the hope. And Isaiah is saying to the people that are in deep darkness in that moment, hey, bank on the promises of God. Look forward to the day that's coming because unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is how the disciple Matthew saw it in Matthew chapter 4. It's interesting. Now, when we get to Matthew chapter 4, we're fast-forwarding 700 years from Isaiah. So now Jesus has already been born in Bethlehem. He's been raised in Nazareth. And now we get to Matthew chapter 4. He's sort of calling his disciples together. And he's beginning his ministry. And verse 12, it says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. Remember that little town I told you about in the beginning where Zebulun and Naphtali come together? In the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This is what Matthew, 700 years later, is saying to us about Jesus. He's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy when Isaiah said, The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for the dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, On them a light has dawned. And then Matthew says, From this time, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew's saying, Look, here's the fulfillment. It's it's fulfilled geographically. It's right here where Isaiah said it would be. It's fulfilled in Jesus, born of a virgin. He's here, and Jesus' message is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now that It was 2,000 years ago. And ever since then, that message has been resonating as a message of hope. That there is a kingdom of light that trumps the darkness. That blazes throughout the world in a spiritual way that, that hands of humans could never manufacture. And its leader, its king, is the risen Messiah, Jesus. This was Matthew's view. Last sort of thought. Who shines the light? If we can't shine it for ourselves, we know the light is Jesus. We know it was prophesied, all of that. But who shines the light? Verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9 tells us the answer to that question. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And this is the steadfast love of our God. This is our hope. And when we think about celebrating the birth of a child conceived of a virgin, born in just the right place at just the right time, this is our hope. We're in this unique situation to live 2,000 years after the birth of Christ, we get to look back on what already happened and, and thank the Lord for fulfilled prophecy. And we hope in it. Like, look, he did what he said he would do. 
And we hope in Jesus. But then we look at, at prophecy that is not yet fulfilled, that he's returning, that he's coming back again, that he will restore all things. And actually, there's more prophecy about all of that than there is about him being born in Bethlehem. And it's, ju- it's just as sure that it's going to happen. Don't know exactly when. But it's going to happen, and no matter how deep a darkness you are walking in, follower of Jesus, understand Jesus is the light, and our Father, the Lord of hosts, is shining his light on us. And this is steadfast love, even in the deepest of darkness. I love how the scripture constantly talks about light says the word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path speaking of the word of god that we hold in our hands and that we read and that we study and isaiah 49 verse 6 it says israel the people is a light to the nations do you know that israel is still giving us a light today we're studying a passage that was written that was spoke to the people of israel and their experience is giving us light It says that Jesus is the light of the world. John chapter 9, verse 5. When Jesus walked the planet, he was lighting up the world. He's the light of the world. When he left, it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. Now, you, meaning followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, you are the light of the world. See, we broker hope. Because when there is deep darkness, a little bit of light gives hope. You might think to yourself, there's nothing I can do about all the chaos in the world. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. But you can walk across the street to your neighbor and offer them light. And make a difference for her. For him. We broker hope because he's constantly shining light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I fear The church in America is a little bit like the people who would take a light and put it under a basket. I don't want my light to offend anyone. But the people, they're walking in deep darkness. They need light. They can't manufacture it on their own. And we have it. Those of us who walk in Jesus, we have it. So what do we do with all this? We lit a candle and we're celebrating the birth of Jesus and we think about the hope that we have in Christ because he's the light of the world. We know the light has come. We've gathered here today to just be in his presence and to worship him. We know this, that he loves us. That he he loves you so much. And he shined, if you know about Jesus, if you've been sitting under my voice, if you, if you heard nothing about Jesus your entire life today, just in the last 30 minutes, the, the Lord Jesus has shined a light on you. You've heard. 
He loves you. And how do we respond to that? I once, I remember meeting a man that I talked with on multiple occasions. And he would always say this to me. Man, you don't know what I've done. It's, I'm too deep in the darkness. And here's the good news. There are consequences for all the things that we do. But here's the really good news. There is no one that has walked so deep in the darkness that the light of Jesus Christ cannot snuff that darkness out. And that is the hope. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you think you're too far gone. You're too deep. You can't get out of this. You can't with your human mind figure out a way to get out of this, whatever it is. You probably can't on your own. That's absolutely correct. Probably probably some clear thinking on your part. You need help because you can't manufacture light. And so you just need to come to Jesus. And that, that sounds cliche. You think a pastor would say something like that. I found, to take the pastor hat off, I found in the times of deep darkness in my life, the only place I found hope is in Jesus. This is my story. This is my testimony. And maybe you just need to confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Like he really was born in Bethlehem. He really did walk sinlessly on the earth. He really was the light of the world. He really did get crucified just outside Jerusalem. He really did rise again from the dead. He really did ascend to heaven. He's really coming back again. He has the power to take darkness and light it up. Maybe though, maybe that you'd think, okay, um, but that's not me. I have, I mean, I know I'm walking in the light. Brian, I hear from God. I, I walk with him and that's awesome. And what a gift, what a gift to be able to hear from the Lord as you read the scriptures and as you pray and what a gift, but maybe just maybe you need to take a step today to say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to actually let my light shine before other people and not just on Facebook where all the other people are just like me. They're my friends. The algorithm worked it out. They're all just like you. They're going to like it. Jesus, the light of the world. You put that on there today. Maybe you just need to walk across the street, build a relationship. We have, uh, we have this table out back today called, it's for Houston welcomes refugees. People have all kinds of ideas about refugees. Like what should we do about refugees? Do you know, uh, refugees, I've worked with them all over the world. I have the privilege of working with them all over the world. But we have a lot of refugees in Houston from different parts of the world. They landed here for all different kinds of reasons. A lot of them are not Christians. Many of them right now coming from places like Afghanistan, their Muslim background, their first encounter with the church. What will that be like? What will that be like? Maybe there's something more than a political game going on here. Maybe the Lord Jesus Christ wants to use us to light up their world. 
And so maybe they just need love. And that's what these welcome kits are about. They're significant. It's not a little shoebox for five bucks. I mean, you might have to get like five families to partner together to do one big welcome kit, right? But go take a look at it because we need to make a difference. A welcome kit, you could do that. Think about the people in your life that are in darkness. Think about it. They'll come to your mind. They need the light of Jesus. People are open to light right now. They are open. Share. Maybe that should be your response. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and just ask the Lord Jesus to speak to you. feel like you're far from God in the, in the deep darkness and you pray to him right now and just confess that and ask him to draw you near to him by his spirit. And if you don't have never repented of your sin, just repent of your sin before God and ask him to save your soul because of the work of his son, Jesus, through the person of Jesus. If you're far from God. If you're near to God, but you know a lot of people far from God, ask the Holy Spirit to bring them to your mind because this week you can broker hope. Lord Jesus, we bless your name. You're good and holy God, mighty above all, we worship you. You are the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. To your rule, there is no end. You're perfectly just and perfectly righteous. And we hope in you. We thank you for loving us and giving yourself for us. We pray for our neighbors, our friends, our family, people in our community, our city that are far from you, that don't know you, God, would you do a work in, of light in our city this Advent season? Use us, use our hands, our feet, our mouth, our, our words with real people to bring you glory and to carry the gospel, good news to people who are in darkness and need light. Let us be people who broker your hope, Jesus, the hope of Christ. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.